0: Mountain View, thanks for gathering with us again this morning. It's Memorial Day weekend and I want to pause and just uh, just think and consider for a moment all of those who have gone before us. I love what Hebrews teaches that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses of those who have gone before us and, and are in paradise now. And And I also want to be very mindful of those who have served in our armed forces and, and we get to memorialize, we get to remember them this Memorial Day weekend. I hope you also enjoy the weather, enjoy the outdoors, all of those good things. I also want to just challenge you and, and encourage you and thank you uh, for your generosity. Uh, I would ask you to continue to give, continue to be generous so that our church can make a, a great impact, not just locally, but but globally. And uh, so far... We have been able to adjust our expenses with our income, and I think we're going to finish this fiscal year out okay. And so I would just encourage you, please, please continue to give, continue to practice generosity. Several years ago, I spent some time just journeying through the Bible and trying to pick up on the big story, the big themes that exist in the Bible. As a matter of fact, we actually had a group of us who worked through the entire Bible in 90 days. We read the whole thing in 90 days. It, it's, it's overwhelming. It's kind of a fire hose to the face. But, but in reality, what was cool about it is you get to pick up on this big theme of what God's trying to do. And so I want to encourage us to, to consider the big theme without a clear reminder of the much bigger picture of what God is trying to do and particularly God's church. We can get stuck and settle for a view of the church that God never intended, that God never anticipated that we would have. The church is beautiful and it has the purpose of giving herself away wholeheartedly to the world God desires to reach, the world God desires to love, and the world that God desires to redeem. And this started all the way back in the book of Genesis. And so today I want to give us just kind of a survey of this whole story. And way back in the book of Genesis, the church that we know today wasn't necessarily established then. But we can see that back in Genesis, God was doing something pretty remarkable by sending people out on mission to save the world. And that's what God was doing. God created the world. He made the world. He made everything in the world. He created mankind, human beings, men and women. And we saw this happen through Adam and Eve, an individual uh, family that God began working in and working through. But as we know the story with Adam and Eve, trouble hits the family, specifically through their sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, man, they introduce sin and rebellion and greed and selfishness and pride and fighting begins to fill the world. And eventually God has enough of this. He says enough is enough is enough. And he decides to correct all of these problems through another family. God is going to save the world by preserving a family. He's going to send a flood and he's going to preserve one family, Noah's family. But if you read that, even Noah's family eventually fall into sin. And then we hear about the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel happens. And at the Tower of Babel, God deals with sin. He deals with sin by dividing people from each other and by spreading them throughout the world. They're, they're scattered. And now people are separated and people are apart not only from God but from each other and strife, and war, and brutality, and dissension, and hatred, and wickedness, and sin begin to rule the earth. And then we see God's master plan to save the entire world. We begin to see God has a plan from the beginning where he is going to establish his multicultural, multi-generational family, not a specific family like Adam and Eve's family or Noah's family, but a bigger family to bring God's message of love and hope and grace and mercy to a really messed up world. And we find this plan really being introduced to us in Genesis chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. It'll be on the screens. Let me read it to you. Verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In this first verse, Abram, later called Abraham, is the start of God's incredible master plan to save the world. For the first time, we see God sending his family, a new family, sending his family out into the world. Look at verse 2. It says this, and I will make you Make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, suddenly, we realize. The people of God are being sent into this foreign land, into this pagan land, into this unknown land, into another culture and into another place. And why? So that they could bring the blessing, the blessing of God wherever they go. This is where we begin to see God's plan revealed to us. Of course, if you know the story, things didn't go well. Things didn't go as planned. Things didn't work out exactly as I think God anticipated. Abraham's family is thrown into chaos. All of Abraham's family and all of their descendants end up living as slaves in Egypt under Egyptian rule. And God's plan, though, is not dead. What God does is He raises up a man named Moses to release his family from Egyptian slavery. And God did incredible, God did remarkable things through Moses. But guess what? Moses faced chaos too. That's what happened. And God still didn't throw in the towel and say, I'm sick of you all. I'm done with you all. I'm I'm, I'm leaving you for another nation. God did something. His family, Israel, even though they were rebellious and unfaithful and at times really ignorant and scared, what God does is he raises up Joshua to lead his family, this entire nation, out of the wilderness into the promised land. As a matter of fact, there's this really cool moment where we see this sending out happen. Joshua sends a couple of spies to check out Jericho. Look at this, Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. See, Jericho was the last of the walled cities in Canaanite. And the two spies hide out in Rahab's home, this prostitute's home. And eventually, because word was out that the spies were in the land, they have to run for their lives before the spies, or before the the people from Jericho find them to kill them. And so the spies promise the prostitute, as she is helping them get out of town, they promise to protect her family, her and her entire family, From what's about to happen to Jericho. Just like the times before. Israelites putting blood over the doorpost. Before the death angel came over the Passover. Look at what happens here. In verse 18 of Joshua chapter 2. Behold when we come into the land. They're talking to Rahab. You shall tie this scarlet cord. Not over the doorpost. But out of the window. Through which you will let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. And eventually what happens is the city of Jericho is destroyed, but Rahab and her entire family are saved. And suddenly this blessing that's been given to Abraham is now given to bless the world. This blessing given to Abraham is going to cross cultural lines. It's going to cross... uh, ethnic divides, this promise is going to be for the whole world, not just for one family. Now, not just for one nation. Instead, this promise is also given to this outcast, this prostitute woman and her family. And in both the books of Hebrews and and James, Rahab is listed as an example of faith for us to emulate. God's mission starts looking very different beyond just a few individuals or or a specific family. And God's mission starts to unfold across cultural and generational lines. For example, you, you can look at see how God just begins saving anyone. And even though the Old Testament is really about God accomplishing his work through the Jews, we capture these moments. Like Rahab, where God is reaching beyond boundaries, reaching beyond age, reaching beyond demographic, reaching beyond socioeconomic uh, uh, distinctions. God is doing something. For instance, think of Ruth, this Moabite woman who, who could not claim God's promises, But now she can. She was an outsider. She was an outcast. She wasn't allowed in. She was an alien and she was a stranger. And yet through God's plan, this master plan that God had, through power and grace and mercy and love, this Moabite woman becomes an heir to the promises that were given to Abraham. You also have the Persian king Darius in the book of Daniel. You have Jonah who's sent to preach to the Ninevites, the outcasts, the the outliners. And then between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's silence. And the Jewish nation wonders, is God even doing anything still? Is God even at work? Because there's these few hundred years of silence. And while this silence is happening, the Jews, they're remaining faithful, so faithful to their traditions. They're holding tightly onto their traditions and and they become overshadowed by the Roman culture who takes control of their area. They stay tightly together, continuing to live faithfully in the past. They're living in the past and priests make sacrifices, even though their faith as a nation begins to dwindle. And out of the blue, it's so cool, out of the blue. God does something new it's as if he just shows up after being silent as if he'd been doing nothing but that's not true God out of the blue comes forward and he does something there's a woman named Elizabeth who is married to a man named Zachariah now normally we would talk about these people in December around Christmas time they're old in age but they have this great hope to have a son they want to have a son. And after waiting for many years, Zechariah is finally selected to be of service in the temple. And when he's at the temple performing his service, an angel appears to him. Now you got to remember, they're startled. Zechariah was scared. God, for all he knew, had been silent for a few hundred years. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. And listen to what's said in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord through their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord people who are prepared. And so again, normally we would hear this at Christmas time. But all of a sudden we can see God is doing something different. God is continuing to work out his master plan to reach the world, to save the world and everybody in the world. Luke chapter 1 verse 25 says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they are so excited And while all of this is happening, an an angel also appears to somebody else. A young woman, this time named Mary, gets a visit. Look at this, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And we have to understand, it's been silent. God hasn't been active from what they can tell. And all of a sudden, after a few hundred years, surprise, an angel shows up, talks to Zechariah. Surprise, an angel shows up to talk to Mary. Here it is. Naturally, Mary was troubled. I mean, she was scared. She had fear. And so this angel tries to calm her fear, sort of, and says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. he will be great. And really he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary is given the best news ever. The best news ever. God has not abandoned his people God is still working out his plan. Even though Mary doesn't understand everything yet, God is about to do something that nobody could have predicted, nobody expected, nobody even anticipated. And Notice, Mary and Zechariah both respond to the news from the angel almost in song. And so if you look at Luke chapter 1 verse 46, this is what Mary says. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. Here it is, that blessing that's going to continue not just for a family but onward for an entire nation and beyond that an entire family to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, Mary sings about this original blessing that God promised to Abraham that the entire world, the whole entirely world, would be blessed through Abraham. But look at what Zechariah says in his prayer of thanksgiving. When his son was born, verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and proph- prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Do you see it? I've just tried to set up a case for us. Do you you see it? See, God's master plan to bless and to reach and to adopt and to redeem and to save and to restore has never been forgotten or neglected. Don't miss this. God's master plan that he introduced to us in Genesis chapter 12 to bless and to reach and to adopt and to redeem and to save and to restore has never been forgotten and has never been neglected. You see, God's plan is full steam ahead. Right here when John is born and Jesus is born, but not just then. Now, too, God's plan is full steam ahead, and it's about to affect every city and every village and every neighborhood. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, announces that Jesus, Mary's son, is, is the Messiah, and he's going to change the world, and he's going to be the one who is going to die So that the hearts of men and women might be drawn toward him. And they might experience a transformation that's going to last forever. And Jesus begins to teach. He begins to show us about the kingdom of God. And one of the things that Jesus tells us is that the kingdom of God isn't in some distant future someday. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is now, it's in the present, it's right now. And in God's kingdom, his rule, his rule's not gonna come through military fighting or political fighting or elections the kingdom of God is going to come when sins are forgiven and the hearts of people are set free to do everything that Jesus showed us to do that's how God is going to build his kingdom and it's going to cross boundaries and lines and nations and families and it's going to create a kingdom family when hearts are changed And people turned towards him. Jesus taught. He healed. He loved. He was interruptible. He demonstrated what kingdom now looks like. And suddenly God's people came alive. They came alive realizing that things were really just beginning. That this plan that they thought was dead was now alive. And they began experiencing the blessing all over again. And Jesus, he did just like it had been done before. He was sent, and he crossed every line, showing us that the mission of God was real. He spent time with a Samaritan woman who very much was like Rahab, an outcast, an outliner, unacceptable. He spent time with tax collectors. He cared for a centurion's family, that the enemy, and he played with children, and he engaged with people all over the place. And then Jesus, he died, a criminal's death on the cross, was buried in a tomb, rose again. And let's not forget what he told his disciples when he appeared to them. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Are you capturing this theme of being sent of being scattered, of being sent out. When we view the Bible as God's master plan for the whole world, we begin to make sense of what my role is, what your role is, what our role is. And the church, the church is a vessel, the instrument. It is the tool to fulfill the original design and the original plan of God, everything that he wanted. And this is consistent with everything that we read in the New Testament. Maybe you remember Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, And so Peter is told one day by Jesus, look at this, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't that remarkable? And Peter, not even fully understanding what Jesus was talking about, Later on after Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and Peter preaches the most dynamic sermon he's ever preached and 3,000 people surrender to Jesus that day and are baptized. And the church as we knew it began and the church, they started gathering, and every day they met together. They broke bread together. They sold their possessions, and they gave away to the poor. The remarkable things happened. And a lame man was healed in chapter 3, and, and another uh, few thousand people surrender to Jesus and are baptized that day. Well, Peter, as he's reflected on his life, writes his letter, and he describes what the church is all about. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this, as you come to him, as we begin to belong to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God and chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter is saying is, listen, when we belong to Jesus, this living stone that's been rejected, we become a part of this thing that God is building, the kingdom now. The church, not a building, but a people, a nation, a family uh, that's so much bigger. Peter writes, continues to write in chapter 2 verse 9, but you, you are a chosen race And you are a royal priesthood and you are a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received his mercy. Our story. Our story that we weren't in that original family, that individual family, Adam, Eve, and Noah, even Abraham, but we became a part of this nation. And beyond the nation, when the boundaries were broken, we we began to be a part of this chosen race, this royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy family, the family of God, which is establishing the kingdom of God now. Peter goes on. He says this in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Man, avoid those passions. Abstain from them. Keep away from them. Because they wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. In other words, the outsiders. Keep your conduct honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you see it? Whether we start in Genesis, whether we start in the Gospels, whether we read Paul's letters to the churches or whether we read Peter's letter, the theme is sure. God has wanted a people who would be exclusive to him, celebrating him, honoring him, loving him, surrendering our lives to him, holy and set apart, distinct, loving and beautiful so that the world might be saved. This is so important for us to wrap our head around. Because when I belong to Jesus, and when you belong to Jesus, when we belong to Jesus, I belong to the family of God. And God's plan is to use His family to change the world. If you belong to Jesus, like I belong to Jesus, I belong to this incredible family, the kingdom of God, and God has every intention. It's always been His intention, whether you start in Genesis or the Gospels, to use His family to save the world. That's you and that's me. There's something special, incredibly special, about the family of God. We call it the church. It's unlike anything else in the world. It's one of the reasons that all of us long to gather again because there's something so unique and so special about it. And in church history, the church has always advanced, always advanced when it's been scattered, not, not the gathering. And so what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is I just want to talk about how, how we are scattered right now Certainly not like in the book of Acts because in the book of Acts what happened is the church grew and, and, and Peter and John continued to preach and people were baptized and surrendered to the Lord every day and they continued to meet together and they sold their possessions to give to the poor when eventually you get to chapter 7 of the book of Acts and everything changes. Stephen is stoned to death. He becomes the first Christian martyr in history. And because of that death, Acts chapter 8, we see a guy named Saul who begins persecuting Christians. And he's walking into their homes and he, he, he enters into their homes and he, he takes captive those who are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now listen, our circumstances are nothing like that. But in a lot of ways, we know what it's like to be scattered. We know what it's like when we cannot gather. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to be reminded about all that God is capable of doing in us and through us to change the world and to make this world as much like heaven as we possibly can. The tensions are real. They are. I mean, I'm out of the camera guy. Look at the room. This this is it. This is how church has been now for 11 weeks. This is is how I preach. I preach to a camera. And I preach to a few people, the worship team, and and a few people in the sound booth. I long, I desire to gather again. But just because we can't gather doesn't mean that God, his plan isn't being fulfilled, that God's still not working things out, that God's not accomplishing his great things. And the reality is this. There are a lot of tensions right now. There's tensions politically and about the church. And and, and although I really do appreciate the robust discussion that society is having about the importance of church. Some things that our our politicians don't understand is they can't declare whether church is essential or not. Because in Genesis chapter 12, God declared how essential church is. Nobody can determine how essential it is. And to be honest with you, although I appreciate this robust discussion that our society's having, I am tired. I'm tired of the church being compared to a box store like Walmart, a liquor store, and a salon. Why? Why? Because the church is nothing like those. The church is so much more than that. And when we view the church as just something like a store down the street or a fast food restaurant, we miss it, we miss it. And I imagine our local and our state, our national politicians are facing tons of pressure. I've tasted just a little of that. But so far, so far, the guidelines that we have, here we are. A church, we we could gather. But we would have directional arrows telling you where you can sit and where you can go. We'd, have, we'd be able to limit this room and that room with how many people can be there. And, and, and we could do all of these things. But you know what? That's, that's not how I want to do church. And so far, what politicians and what guideline writers have wrong, they've made an assumption that the church is closed. And listen, the church has never been closed. Since God created the church, the church has been about a people who are doing the work of God, not the building that they gather in. And you can say all day long the church is closed. The church isn't closed. The church has never been closed. Look what we're able to do every Sunday morning. Is it ideal? Certainly not, but we're able to do it. Mountain View, you've provided bags and bags and bags of food for the impoverished people who are a part of Highland Elementary right here in the church's neighborhood we've been able to send funds to feed the hungry through this COVID-19 across the globe we've been able to provide emotional support for people who have struggled we've even been able to do some things to help people who had physical needs The, the church isn't closed the church has never been closed am I eager to gather again yes I'm eager to gather do I long to gather yes Do I want to gather six feet apart and not be able to shake hands or give hugs and have face-to-face conversations and, and lay hands on people when we pray for them and have to wear masks when we sing and ushers directing traffic and assigning seats and locking doors once we heat capacity? No! That's not how I want to gather and meet. Do we have a plan? Yeah. And as soon as Multnomah County enters phase one, we will. But you have to understand, the church has never been a place. The church has always been the family of God going on mission together to accomplish the master plan of God, the mission of God. And the church has always been a family who intentionally and purposefully lay down their own lives, surrender at the foot of the cross so that others beyond the lines can gather again, can belong to the kingdom. Mountain View, Unlike any other time in history, we must be committed to our neighbors. We must be committed to our community. We must be committed to our city. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. He was charging the church. and He said this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. He says this, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. And not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, we are his witnesses. We are his ambassadors. We are his family on mission together. And God is using us to change lives. So here's my challenge for you. Here's what I want you to do. Every day this week, every day this week, can you ask God, how can I be your letter of grace and mercy right where I am? Every day this week, when you go on your walk, when you pull out of your driveway, when you open your shades or blinds in the morning, stop and say, God, how can I be your letter of grace and love and mercy right where I am? Are my circumstances what I want? No, but God's not dead. The church is alive. We're not closed. We're open, and he's wanting to use you and me, all of us, To be his letter of grace and mercy and love. Maybe to our neighbor. Maybe to our family. Maybe to the kids down the street. Maybe to the person who continues to work at the checkout counter at the grocery store. Every day this week, would you, Mountain View, begin to pray? so that we can fulfill God's plan. We have to stop entangling ourselves in cultural affairs. And we have to engage our culture for the common good. What are they and what do we agree upon? And let's focus on that. Mountain View, I want us to be a church for the world, not just a church in the world. It is so easy to be a church in the world. But I want us to be a church for the world. And we can do that whether we gather or not. We can do that whether we're in this room or not. As a matter of fact, let's join God on His mission. (laughs) The mission that He established long before any of us ever breathed. Long before our country was established. Long before it was really right after creation. Let's join God on the mission that He has for His family. Let's continue to embrace people and invite them into the family every day this week. How can I be your letter of grace and mercy right where I am? Let's sing.